We're still learning from the Sermon on the Mount. We took a little break last week to talk about Easter. We're jumping back into the greatest sermon ever preached, arguably, of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We've been learning how to get back to the foundation that we were originally created to live for. You know, you think about this. Anytime someone invents something or creates something, they have a purpose for that. There's a right way to use that thing, and there's a wrong way to use that thing. And if God created us, then there's a right way for us to live in the way that he designed us to. But unfortunately, sometimes over time, uh, things change, right? And for us, things have changed, and now human beings live in a way that we weren't created to live. And so that's true in everything, by the way. When somebody designs something, they patent something. They have an intent for how it's supposed to be used. Uh, But I've been learning, you know, through the course of my life, and there are a few things that I've figured out that we use wrong. We don't use these things the way that they are supposed to be used. So I brought them with me so we could learn a little something, okay? So let me get this. And forgive me for like groaning a little bit going down to get that. I realized, I said this to a couple people this morning, by the way. I realized that maybe it was like, maybe it was when I turned 35. Might have been the first time that I said the words, I think I overdid it yesterday. You know, I don't remember saying that until I was about 35 years old, and now I feel like I say it a lot. Um, but anyway, so we've got a few things in here that we just need to know that we, we have a tendency to, to misuse, okay? Let's start right here. All right, let's start with, if I can get it out of here. I bought all this at Walmart this morning. It cost me $3.36. It was awesome. Uh, all right. Toothpaste. Did you know that most of you are misusing this? Yes, you brush your teeth with it, okay? (laughs) Nothing super weird, okay? But what do we normally do? At least this is what I did for years. This is how I brush my teeth. All right, I would, for for me, I'll get the toothbrush wet, and then I would put the the toothpaste on the toothbrush, and then I would brush my teeth and scrub the fronts and the backs, the tops and the bottoms, and I would sing Mary Had a Little Lamb or whatever it is you're supposed to sing to make sure you brush long enough. And then I would spit out the toothpaste, and then I would put my head under the sink, and I would get a big swig of water and rinse it around and spit that out. And I was done with brushing my teeth. But a lot of you do it that way. Did you know that's wrong? That's not how you're supposed to do it. My dentist taught me this. Last time I went to the dentist, which was like three years ago, I... At the at the end of the at the end of the uh, the, the appointment, they did the the uh, fluoride treatment. You know, they put the fluoride on your teeth, and she was like, "Now don't eat or drink anything for the next couple hours or or whatever." And I was like, "Why is that?" And she said, "Because the fluoride needs time to like soak in to do its thing, right?" And I was like, "Oh, okay." She's like, "It's just like your toothpaste." I was like, "What?" She said, "You use a fluoride toothpaste, right?" I said, "Yeah." She said, "Well, once you brush your teeth, you're not supposed to rinse it out." What? I'm supposed to just leave it in there? Is that, I, I thought this is, really, this is really strange, but sure enough, I went and looked it up. I, went, I did my own research, okay? Do, 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 do your own research. I went and researched it. Sure, with a fluoride toothpaste, you're supposed to put it on the toothbrush, brush your teeth, you can spit it out, but you're not supposed to rinse it out, and you're not supposed to eat or drink anything for like the next 15 minutes or whatever. So the fluoride has time to do its thing, otherwise it doesn't do anything. I was like, I never knew that. How many of you didn't know that before today? All right, I need to tell you, it's hard, okay? It's a hard deal. You got to really like your toothpaste. I'll tell you that much, all right? And you got to be committed to it. But after a little while, you don't even think about it anymore. I've been doing it now for three years uh, so that I don't have to go back to the dentist ever. And uh, so far, so good. 
I've gotten used to it, okay? So there's a thing that we tend to use wrong that is intended to be used a different way. And your teeth will be healthier if you use it the way that it's intended to be used, okay? So that's one. Huh? Sure, yes. Um, and I don't need this. Does anybody need a tube of toothpaste? Does anybody want this? Where are you? I can't throw it that far. Don't you tuck it? Tuck it. I'm just gonna, you know what? I'm just going to set it right here. You can get it after the service. Okay? Cost a dollar eighty-three. You can just put it in the offering. That'll be fine. Okay? Just kidding. I'm kidding. All right. Here's another one. You ready? You might not know this one. It took me a while to learn this. It's an electrical outlet. You say, well, how am I using an electrical outlet wrong? It's not necessarily how you're using it. It's how it's installed. Because this is always how an electrical outlet, or typically how an electrical outlet is installed. I call it the shocked face, which is, if you look at the little, the two eyes and then the little mouth, right? It's like an emoji, all right? I call it the shocked face for an electrical outlet. No, if you look at the original patent for a three-prong electrical outlet, it's supposed to be installed that way. With the big, the, the single on the top, right? And, some, and I've always, I've seen them installed this way. And every time I saw it installed that way, I was like, that electrician had no idea what he was doing. Turns out, I have no idea what I'm doing. Because this is the way they're supposed to be installed, if you look at the actual patent. And it actually makes a lot of sense. If you install it like this, the most secure piece, which is the ground lug, is on the bottom. You ever had those plugs that just kind of hang out? Right? They start to just kind of fall out of the plug because they're, they're attached well at the bottom but not at the top. It's upside down. So you're supposed to, it's supposed to be installed that way. Then the solid connection goes into the top and holds the bottom in place. Okay? So some of you go home and just flip them all. All right? Turn off your breakers before you do that. All right? But, you know, they're supposed to be installed the other way. So there's one that we, we, do, we do wrong. We'll get that. I can, I'll give that away, too, if anybody needs an outlet. Uh, I don't need that one. And then the last one, you ready for this? this? Is gonna be tough for some of us. Okay. Now listen. Now it's <laughs> hey, not how you use it. Okay, that's a conversation for another day. But again, much like the electrical outlet, can we talk about how this is supposed to be installed in the bathroom? Okay. I know it's hotly debated, but we need to settle it right now. Okay, just for us, the toilet paper is supposed to be over the front, okay? Let's just be clear about this. And I just need you to know that if I come over to your house for any reason, whatever reason, I'm there, and I go into your bathroom, and it is around like this, one, I'm going to be very disappointed in you after our conversation today. You're just personally disappointed in you as a person, okay? Um, secondly, I'll change it. It's like straightening a picture at a restaurant. There's a right thing to do, okay? We'll pull it around the front. All right, first and foremost, you need to know that the original patent for the roll of toilet paper shows it like this. So the original person intended it like this. And I know some of you are like, well, we've improved on the original intention by putting it over the back. You have not, all right? Anybody who puts it around the back has never had to stand up, and that's all I'm going to say, all right? That's all I'm going to say. There's no way to get at it, okay? So it's got to be over the front, so now that we have that cleared up, all right, it's important, it's helpful to know what the original intent of things are. It helps us to understand and use them properly. Same thing is true for us as a whole as human beings. 
that when God created us, he had a purpose for us. He had an intent for us to be in a very close, loving relationship with him and to be in a very close and loving relationship with each other. But today we look at our society and our world and we can see very clearly that's broken. And it's broken because we are not living in the way that he intended for us to live. We're valuing the wrong things and pursuing the wrong things. We're doing the wrong stuff. We're thinking the wrong stuff. We're loving the wrong stuff. And until we get that recentered around what God's desire for, is for us, we're never going to experience the fullness and wholeness and healing and peace and comfort and joy that he's created us for. And that's very difficult living in a world where so many things are broken around us, but we can have a piece of that even now by building our life on solid ground. Jesus does this whole message, and at the end of it, we'll do a whole message on this piece, but at the end of it, he, he gives the analogy of two people, one who builds their house on the sand and one who builds their house on the rock. And when the wind and the waves and the storm come and they come to both of them, when they come, the house on the sand crashes but the house on the rock stands firm. And Jesus says that if you listen and you do what I say, you do these teachings, you get back to what I'm telling you to be and to do, then your house will be built on the rock, the rock of Jesus. And so we've been going through this, and one of the big things that he's been shutting down throughout this this sermon is people's pride or self-centeredness. It really is one of the major themes of this message. And we, we're going to come out of a section. i got to give you a little recap because we had Easter as a little break in the middle of it. All right, the week before that, we talked about the Lord's Prayer. The week before that, Jeremy talked about, um, he preached and did uh, the section where Jesus says, don't pray in front of people to impress them. Pray privately and God will see what you do in private. That's a quick summary. Also, it's the same thing with fasting. Don't fast and make it look like you're fasting so everybody asks you about it. Let your fasting be private and secret. And then he says the same thing about doing good or offering charity or giving. Don't flaunt it in front of everybody so everybody sees how generous you are. Just do it humbly in secret or in private. And so he's trying to get this self-centeredness, this showiness, this egotism out of their lives. And so he naturally goes into now applications of that, what it actually looks like in your life. So we're going to pick up uh, Matthew chapter 6. Let's pick up in verse 19. He's just finished uh, talking about fasting in, in particular and not trying to get recognition for our spiritual acts, that our spiritual acts are for the glory of God, not for the glory of John. All right, so Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Here we go. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, a treasure, this is actually the, they would have the picture in that day when Jesus used this word, um, they would have little treasure troves or treasure boxes that they would bury in, in the dirt or would hide certain places. You think a little bit like, a, like a, I can't think of it and not think of uh, pirates, 
okay? <laughs> like pirates with their treasure. They've got their treasure box and they buried it on some remote island in the South Pacific or something. And, you know, there's an X over it, it seems. And they make a map so that they can get back to it. And this is like, all, it's a whole thing. You can't help but think about that when he says your treasure. And that, they had things sort of like that. And what they treasured in their day, well, clothing was a big deal. Uh, fancy, well-made clothing with nice fabrics. They would, they would be inherited. They would pass clothing down from generation to generation. And so they had to protect that as a very important source of their sort of family wealth. And then they also had metal, you know, like we would, precious metals like we would today uh, that would be part of their treasure. And so he's trying to give them a picture of this, what they, what they value, what they protect what they, what, what they, I mean, treasure, it's such a good word. What, they, what they, they lay up for themselves or store away for themselves. And he says, don't, don't store up those things. Because as well as you might protect them, moths are still coming and rust is still coming and things decay and fade. But instead, lay up treasure in heaven. And so as he's talking about this, I think we need to ask ourselves, What's my treasure? Like if you think about, if you think about a pirate and their, their treasure map and the X marks the spot, what is your X? What is the thing? Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That the thing that you treasure is the thing that you think about. It's the thing that you love. It's the thing that you pursue. It's the thing that you protect. You think about if you had a ton of gold in a box buried under the ground, you would always be thinking about that spot and whether it was hidden and whether it was taken care of and whether it was being preserved and all of that. Your thoughts, your heart, your attitude, your focus, your drive, your motivation, all of your stuff is with this thing. So he says where your treasure is, there your heart is. So what do you treasure? What is it that you value? What is it that you pursue? What is it that gives you a sense of self-worth and motivation and drive and passion? What is your treasure? And the thing is, we can build up treasure here. We can. I mean, he just talked about building up treasure with, with doing good things. I mean, and these are good things. But you can use your charity, your works of service, your acts of kindness, you can use them as your own treasure. You, you can use prayer to build up treasure for yourself here. You can use fasting to build up treasure for yourself here, to build up people's esteem and thought and impression of you. In fact, people do it all the time. People use the gifts of God all the time to build their own treasure here. But that's not where it's supposed to be. It's never where, never where it was supposed to be. Uh, James puts this very bluntly. Um, and James uses a lot of connections in his, um, his letter uh, back to the Sermon on the Mount. It's Sermon on the Mount heavy. And so this sermon had a huge impact on James. And he puts it much more uh, dramatically, I would say, in James chapter 5. And he says this. Come now. You rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Like I said, a lot more dramatic. (laughs) 
eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. The cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You've fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You've condemned, you've murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now he's very, he uses very dramatic language, and he specifically points out situations where somebody is treasuring things on earth, wealth, riches in this case, is treasuring wealth and riches. And in order to gain that for themselves, in order to pursue their treasure here, they are willing to step on and victimize other people in the process. You see, this is a question, this is a question of what we treasure. It's not a question of what we have or don't have. It's not a matter of whether you have very little money or you have a lot of money, whether you have a small house or a big house or an old car or a new car. It's not about that. It's about what you treasure. And when what you treasure comes into an impasse with what God says we're supposed to treasure, which do we choose? Which do we actually value? When, when what God wants for my life comes into contrast or contradiction with what the world around me is telling me to do or my inward desires are telling me to do, which do I value more? Building treasure here or building treasure in what's coming. Am I being, now James uses the terminology, I think this is great, this is really good for me. He says, be patient. Because I really think that the desire to build up treasure for ourselves now is grounded and rooted in self, selfishness, but also in impatience. I want it now. I don't want to wait till then. I don't even know when then it's coming. I want to be happy now. I want to be content now. I want to be comfortable now. I want to be seen as whatever now by other people. And James, rightly so, says, be patient. If you're faithful to God, if your treasure and your reward is waiting with him, it is sure to come. But I got to tell you, if you, if, if you haven't figured this out by now, and maybe we're all in the process of learning this in life, Treasure here can feel good and it can be satisfying, but it doesn't last. It doesn't last. It's here and then it's gone. It feels good and then it doesn't. The shininess wears off after a time and it's not the new nice thing anymore and then we're chasing it again. It's a carrot on a stick. But if we, if we truly treasure God, we truly treasure his kingdom. We truly treasure honoring him and being close to him and being close to each other. And our eyes are up and ahead and toward him. Then that is sure. We can be confident, but we have to be patient. We have to be patient. Jesus gives the, uh, James gives the example of people who've compromised because they're impatient. 
What do I think about? Like as you're analyzing and you're just thinking this through for yourself, I, you got to do that for you and I do it for me. What do I think about? Like, like dwell on? What do I dream about? When I'm sitting, you ever sit and have those daydreams about what the future is going to be like, whether that's the next week or the next year or whether, you know, looking forward to retirement or whatever else? What do I dream about? What do I dwell on? What do I look forward to? Is it all here? Is it all here? Or is it there? What do I, what do I pursue with my life? Like, what am I chasing? When I look at the decisions that I'm making with my schedule, with my career, with my family, what, what is it that I'm going after? Am I going after something here? Or am I going after something there? What am I investing my life in? My, my, the wealth that I do have, the time that I have, my talents, my abilities, my experiences, the things that I have gained over the years, what I do have now, what am I investing those in? Am I investing them in things here? Or am I investing them in things there? What do I, and here's the, here's the, the important question, and it's the hard question we have to ask ourselves. What do I actually treasure? Not what do I say do I treasure. What do I actually treasure? When I look at my life, when I look at my behaviors, when I look at my thoughts, when I look at my actions, when I look at the decisions that I make, what am I actually going after? That's a very challenging question to ask. Because I find it many, many times in my life, I don't like the answer to that question. Because I know what I say I want. But what I'm actually going after is different. What do you treasure? It really is a question of where our hope is. Where's my hope? Is my hope in what's around me? Is my hope in my retirement fund? Is my hope in the person I'm in a relationship with? Is my hope in the school that I'm going to choose? Is my hope in my boss? Is my hope in, you know, whatever? Is my hope in the, the, the money that I have? Or where is my hope? The message of the gospel is that our hope is supposed to be in Jesus. In his return, in his his kingdom, not here. My hope is supposed to be in the way that he's going to change me and mold me and prepare me and get me ready for what's coming. See, we, we, we become a child of God by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. We believe in his death on the cross and his resurrection. We put our faith and trust in him for salvation. And now he wants to walk us through this life, but our eyes have to be up and ahead. They have to be looking to what's coming, to the kingdom that he's bringing and preparing for that even now. And so it's a question of our hope and whether we're willing to be patient. Those are hard, hard things to look at. We have to have the right perspective. So Jesus, as he continues in his message, says, where he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then in verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And therefore the light that is in you is darkness. Or if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great 
is that darkness. It's our perspective. It's the way that we look at the world. It's the way that we look at our life. It's the way that we look at ourselves. And if that's right, if that's in alignment with what God created for us, then we experience light and life and freedom and joy and peace and all of this that God wants us to have. But if our eye is bad, if our perspective is bad, if our worldview is bad, if our understanding of who we are and who we're supposed to be is bad, then we find ourselves full of darkness. And there are even people who are children of God. They've put their faith in Jesus for salvation. They are saved, and they are going to be in heaven with him and then here in the kingdom and all of that. But their eyes are still bad. Christians who are children of God, but they're still looking at the world and judging themselves based on worldly standards, still chasing after things around them, still chasing after wealth and riches and success and significance and all of those things that the world has to offer. And they're, they're full of darkness, even though they're saved. And I don't want that to be me, and I don't want that to be you. And, and Jesus says that if the light that's in you is darkness, if you think you have light but you don't, how deep is that darkness? I think it's caused many, many people to question even the existence of God. Because they accepted faith in Jesus, but then went about living a selfish life, and they're like, well, where is God? He's supposed to be doing all this stuff for me. It's like, well, no, that, that was your eye's bad. The problem isn't with God. The problem is with your perspective and your goals and what you treasure. Our treasure is supposed to be with him. And so we have to pursue him. We have to be close with him. We have to everything. We have to look forward to him. And he's the, he's the treasure that, that we value and hold and protect. Not all this stuff of the world. Otherwise, boy, how deep, how dark is that darkness? And if our eyes are good, then we actually get to experience the hope that we talk about. If not, how sad is that? How, how sad is it to chase after something your entire life and realize that it was the wrong X? To give your whole life and all your energy and all your attention and your money and your time and your relationships to something only to watch it melt through your fingers to watch it deteriorate, moth-eaten, rust-infested, just a pile of rust. How sad is that? God designed us for something so much bigger and so much better, something that lasts and that we can trust. Timothy gives this, or Paul, sorry, gives this warning to Timothy, who's a young pastor, 1 Timothy chapter 6. He said, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men. That terminology really sunk in with me as I was reading it this week. They drown us in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows pierce themselves through. We do this to ourselves. And yes, there's influence from the outside. Yes, there is encouragement and a whole culture and society built around us telling us to be greedy and be selfish and to get as much as we can for ourselves, and that's what makes you successful and significant. But we still do it to ourselves. We drown in this. And you know, what... Something that struck me about this scripture, I've read this scripture a thousand times, 
preached on it multiple times, and it hit me just different. This Because I was, when I thought about this, I thought people who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown you in uh, destruction and perdition. I thought specifically, I've just always had this picture of people who are greedy, and so they do dumb stuff, and they end up poor, Okay. So like, like, like you buy into that scam or the pyramid scheme or gamble all the money away or whatever. Like people who are greedy fall into all these harmful lusts and all this stuff that drown them in perdition. And I was like, yeah, like greediness will really, I mean, we will pierce ourselves through with those things. And it struck me a little bit different this week as I was reading it. Maybe you've, you've thought of it this way your entire life. But the same thing is true for people who are incredibly successful and wealthy. So... Those who desire to be rich and, put in parentheses, and also become rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many griefs. That even the people who are getting what they're chasing after are still drowning, are still piercing themselves through. But, the, but the, the, the sin and the pain is different. It's different. Nevertheless, the result is the same. It's like following a treasure map and digging where the X and open up the box and just sealing rust. Nothing. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And it's funny how many times you hear people who reach high levels of success that say exactly that. That get the thing that they've been chasing after. Didn't do what I thought it was going to do. Don't feel the way I thought I was going to feel. But even if you do, even if it does feel satisfying, it still doesn't make it worthwhile. Paul says this when he's writing to the churches in the church in Colossae. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. The promises of God are never hollow. They're not empty. There's not an interest rate that goes up and down. His rewards are eternal. And his rewards are permanent. We just have to be patient. We have to be patient. If we are faithful, we will be rewarded. Just have, to have, just have to be patient. Can you be patient? I nod my head yes, too. And we'll see. <laughs> I want to be. I want to be. But this is day in and day out. Okay? It's day in and day out. And you've got to make the same decision tomorrow as we make today. All right? Day in and day out. Jesus says this as he continues on in the sermon. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve 
Dodd, and Mammon. Mammon's an interesting word um, because we don't use it. (laughs) It's not a word that we're familiar with. Mammon is a word, uh, it's an Aramaic word, and that was the language Jesus spoke in. And uh, mammon uh, was, it means wealth, okay? Riches, wealth, whatever that meant for them. It might be money like we have it today, or it might be their clothes, or maybe uh, their houses, or whatever else. Their, their animals, livestock, whatever, all right? But mammon, this is a really interesting word, because it's a personification word. It's actually taking the idea of wealth and turning it into a figure, a person, a, a master that they would serve. It's essentially a God that they would worship. And, and Jesus is saying that you've got, if you've got God here and you want to serve him, but you have mammon over here and you want to serve him, you can't do both. You can't do both. You have to choose. Because in so many cases, they are contradictory to one another. So you can't, you can't love one. You can't say you love both because you'll have to make a choice eventually. And when you make the choice, you'll show who you actually serve. Where your heart is, there your treasure is. Or where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So our, our life will show this. It will sift it out. To serve wealth over God is idolatry. To serve wealth over God is idolatry. We may as well give it a shape, a form. We may as well plate it in gold and put it on a pedestal and bow down to it. And so we have to make a choice on who we're going to serve. Are we going to serve God or are we going to serve wealth? What a tragedy if in serving our true master we fail God. If we fail to do and to be all that God has created us to be, because we're worshiping a false God that we think is going to save us, that we think is going to protect us, that we think is going to make us whole, make us healthy. It's the wrong God. The question is, who am I listening to? Who am I following? Who am I serving? And our situation has nothing to do with that, by the way, much as we want to make it that way. You can listen to God with any amount of money. You can follow God in any school. You can serve God in pretty much any career. When we have good eyes... When we're seeing ourselves correctly, we're seeing God correctly, we're seeing our life in the world correctly, we have our eyes looking forward to the kingdom that's coming, then we can build our life on a foundation that's actually solid. A foundation that doesn't waste away, that doesn't deteriorate, that is confident and sure. We need to look forward and we need to be patient. Uh, Later in his ministry, Jesus, this is recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, 
where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. When he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat, and they will come and serve him. So Jesus says, be patient. Be watching, be waiting, be thinking forward to the kingdom that's coming. Be confident and hopeful in the rewards that he will bring that are being stored up for you. And don't become impatient and look at the world around you. Don't get greedy and lose focus. Don't be drawn in by all those temptations around you. Stay focused, wait for the kingdom, be prepared, be patient. And trust him the whole way. God is loving and he is good. He loves you and he wants the best for your life. He wants you to live the way he created you to live, not in a secondary false way. And so trust him because he is good and he is love. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your love displayed for us in so many ways, but so specifically on the cross. The gift of Jesus given for us. How generous and gracious. A gift that doesn't end there, but to see Jesus buried and risen again on the third day to know that he has life and has conquered sin in the grave and to know that we too can have life in him. So God, we thank you for that today, that you are love, you are kind and good. And we know that we've, we've gone so far off of what you've designed for us, but we want to get back. We want to get back. We want to build our life on a solid foundation, not on the shaky one that's been created around us that we've created ourselves. We don't want to walk in darkness We don't want to be misguided. We don't want to waste our lives. We don't want to pierce ourselves through or drown in sin. But we want to walk in life and love and hope and joy. We want to walk with you. And this is a hard one, Jesus. This teaching is a hard one because it is so easy for us to get focused on the world. It's what's here. It's what's tangible to us. We put our hands on it and we see it with our eyes and we hear it with our ears. And so it's so easy to be drawn into what's here and now. And so we need your help. And so I ask you, God, through the power of the Spirit to show us, to help us to see bigger, further. Build in us patience and trust as we look forward to the reward that's coming, as we look forward to the kingdom that's coming, and that even here and now, we can live that way. We can live in the way you created for us to live. And that that life, what we're doing for you and how we're living and the choices that we're making would be a light for you so people could look at us and they would see light and they may see how it contrasts to the darkness that they see. So use us in that way. 
We want to bring honor and glory to you as we wait patiently. We look and we wait. We're ready. Today. Come today. And if you come today, we won't be ashamed. Because we're choosing to walk faithfully with you. God, if any of us, as you show us how you want us to change, spend more time in prayer, focusing on you, reading your word, talking with other believers, encouraging each other forward. As we see ways that we need to change, that we need to come back to what you created us for. Give us strength. Give us boldness. Give us consistency to do it tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. so that we can bring honor and glory to you, but also so we can look forward with confidence and joy to your return. We thank you for your love, unending, undying love that overcomes all. We put our trust in it today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.